So good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard. Um, you're joining us today in the last of our series as we look at knowing your purpose in God's mission. Okay? Somebody put your hand up if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is. Actually, no, I think one or two of you won't know who he is. But Charles Spurgeon was a really, really famous preacher in 19th century England. In fact, he's celebrated as arguably one of the greatest preachers of the modern era. And he pastored one of the first ever mega churches to appear in the modern era, and it was called the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Um, he just had, there was an anointing on his preaching. Thousands of people came to know Jesus through his preaching, and it is estimated that he preached upwards to upwards of around 10 million people in his lifetime. And this is before the age of radio, TV, and all that stuff. People would travel to listen to this man preach the gospel. In fact, churches in America here continually offered him jobs. They tried to bring him over to the States time and time again uh, because they felt like he was so powerful, but he was like he was committed to London and he stayed there his entire life. And he said something really interesting once. He said that he said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Like, oh, harsh words. Harsh words indeed. What did he mean by that? You know, are we all supposed to be missionaries and relocate to various parts of the world and serve in cross-cultural contexts, miles away from home, miles away from family, family and friends? I mean, I know I have, but does that mean all of you in this room need to do what Rachel and I did? Well, no, of course not. That's not what he was talking about. Now, the essence of what it means to be a missionary for Jesus is to live your life as a, as a obedient and faithful follower of Jesus, doing whatever you feel God wants you to do in whatever place you find yourself. Whether you're a lawyer, a welder, an accountant, a shop assistant, or a home and investment manager, otherwise known as a stay-at-home parent. Okay? You know, wherever you are, God may want to break into your day and ask you to do something, ask you to speak to somebody, ask you to be kind to someone in a different way. Ask you to share your story of faith with somebody. You know, whatever that is, being a missionary of God is being somebody who's willing to step out in obedience in those situations. To be someone who's willing to do things the way God wants you to do it in whatever place or calling you find yourself in, whatever job that you're doing. And as you do that, to promote Jesus as Lord when given the opportunity. Sounds really simple, but it always works out to be a little bit more complicated than that. When you think of the concept that God has sent you to be a missionary wherever you are to the people around you, are you excited by that concept and you just want to get on with it? Or are you more of a reluctant missionary like, I'm not so sure about that. I don't think I want to do that. That's, that's freaking me out a little bit. If so, you're in good biblical company. There are many servants of the Lord who were really reluctant to go and do the work that God asked them to do and to speak the words that God asked them to speak. Uh, there was Moses, there was a guy called Gideon, there was Jeremiah, who's quite famous, and Jonah, to name but a few. Today, we're going to look at Jonah. I think Jonah's one of my favorite Bible characters, right? I think it's because he's so relatable. I think most of us would have done what Jonah did, right? So I really like Jonah. And today we're going to look at him, look at his life, and look at how even his experiences invite us on a journey to discover the implications of what it means to serve as 
to serve God faithfully and regardless of our personal preferences or our cultural bias or even when we're just in outright opposition to what he wants for us. And so before I get into reading some, some, uh, some uh, clips from Jonah, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you understand us, that you know that we're full of fear, that we're full of hesitancy, that sometimes we're uncomfortable with the way you do things, and outright you just make us nervous, Lord. You know, we don't know what you're going to do next. But we thank you that even with all that, you are still open to us. You still welcome us. You still, you still invite us in. You still want to do this, this mission of yours in reconciling all creation to yourself, and you want to, you, you want to involve us in it. Lord, we thank you so much for that. And as we look at the life of Jonah today, Lord, I pray for each one of us in this room that you would increase our faith, that you would soften our hearts towards you, that you'd help us to be willing to be the type of people that say yes to you. Lord, guard my words today. Let them be from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read, obviously, from the book of Jonah today, um, starting at chapter 2. And I'm going to jump around and read a couple of clips, but I'm going to kind of give you a rundown of what's happening if you're not familiar with the story or you haven't read it for a while. So there's Jonah. He is a prophet of the Lord in Israel. You know, he's, he's, he's God's voice to the people. And so God says to him one day, Hey, Jonah, I want you to go over to Nineveh, the city of the Assyrians, this other group of people that the Israelites never liked, and I want you to go and preach damnation, basically. I want you to go tell them that I'm about to smoke them if they don't repent. Jonah's like, I don't think so. He's like, that doesn't sound like a good gig to me. He basically heads in the opposite direction, gets down to the port and looks for the ship that's going to the farthest place possible. And there's a ship there that's headed off to Tarshish. Okay. Now we think Tarshish was out near Spain, somewhere out that way, which in those days is pretty much the edge of the world. You know, you, once you went past Tarshish, there was a waterfall and you went beyond it and you fell off the earth type of idea. Nobody knew what was past there. So he gets on this boat and he's like, I am out of here. I am, I am not going to preach to the Assyrians. So off he goes, he gets on the boat. God's like, you know, I have a different plan for you, Jonah. Next thing you know, there's a huge storm. The ship's in trouble. All the people in the ship are crying out to all their various gods. Um, and, you know, Jonah's asleep in the stern. Quite funny. There's a guy asleep in a storm. A little bit of a reflection of a story there. Anyway, so what happens is, long story short, all the, all the sailors cast lots. Say, whose fault is it that we're in the storm? This is obviously a, an unusual storm. One of the gods is angry, and somebody in this boat caused this. And all the lots fell to Jonah. So they go over to Jonah and say, hey, Jonah, what's the deal? You know? And he says, well, you know, the God I worship created the, the earth and the seas. And um, I'm actually being disobedient to him. I'm on the run. And so now they all freak out because if they God, his God created the seas, they were on the sea, they're all going to die. So they said to him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? I, I like that question. Have you ever had somebody ask that question? What should I do to you to make my life better? I don't know. Write me a check. An offering right now might be awesome. You know? No, what does Jonah do? Jonah turns around and says, well, really, if you want to stop the storm, I guess you're going to have to chuck me overboard and off me, and then the storm will stop. Uh, to their credit, you know, because most, most pagans back in the day might have been okay with that. Human sacrifice was a thing, you know? And so most of them would say, no, we, we're not really comfortable with that right now. Maybe it's because he was a paying passenger. 
bad for customs, you know. You know, what happened to your passenger? Oh, we threw him overboard, you know. You might not get any, whatever. So anyway, so long story short, the storm doesn't stop. Eventually they say, okay, we'll chuck you over. So they chuck him over, storm stops. Jonah goes in the drink, and then the Lord provides a big fish to swallow Jonah. We have no idea how this happens, okay? Was it a fish? Was it God's little cupped hand? Did God create an animal just to swallow him in the moment? Or does Jonah die and have a dream that he's swallowed by fish? We don't know, okay? He just says in the book, God provided a fish and swallowed him. So he's down there, and this is where we take the story from. So from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I I want you to picture that for a moment. You know, next time you think about being disobedient to God, just covered in vomit on a beach somewhere, just lying there, dejected, in a state. You know, I just love the, I love, the, I love the Bible. I love the language. Let's go on to chapter 3, and it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Hopefully he washed himself. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going, on a, by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And so what happens is, you know, the king gets word of this and he tells everybody in the city to fast. He makes... Even the animals have to fast. They starve the animals. Uh, the whole city repents, okay? And Jonah is a little bit put out by this because everybody's repenting. And so he leaves out the city, goes to a place, maybe up on a hill, we think, and he looks at the city to see what God's going to happen. And God relents. God decides not to destroy the city. And so we jump over to chapter 4, and this is what it says. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That, that, is, that is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Toshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you? to be angry. And so, story goes that as Jonah's sitting up there, God, the sun comes up one day and it's really hot. And so Jonah's like, oh, really uncomfortable. God provides a shelter and it's all good. He sits there in the shade, chills all day. Then the next day, a worm comes wrong, chews up the shelter, and then Jonah's got to sit and suffer in there all day and he gets super, super angry. And God just basically comes up and says to him, listen, you know, you cared about this plant, and you're upset when it died. Just imagine how much I care for all those people in that city and the animals. You know? And so he basically reveals to Jonah, listen, I care about people way more than you do. And I'll do what I need to do to rescue them. And so, yeah. So Jonah learns his lesson. So there's a few things I want to really peel out of this story today. 
for you and I and how we can basically try to learn to live lives that are in partnership with God and, and move forward in, in the mission he has for us. The first point is this, is that sometimes God's instructions offend us, right? God is offensive, kind of. We'll get into that in a minute. But most people have an ideal. Most people have a picture of how they would like God to be, what they would like God to conform to. And I say most to be diplomatic, because the fact of the matter is I have a strong suspicion that every single person in this room, including myself, is just like Jonah. We all have a picture of how we think God should be and how we think God should do business. And so when we see God doing something that stands in opposition to that ideal, we're easily offended by it. We see this clearly in the life of Jonah after the city of Nineveh repents. You know, it's interesting, like I said, that he doesn't preach and then skulk off back home, right? Rather, he sticks around to see what's going to happen. And he's probably sticking around because he's still holding on to the hope that God is going to fit into his expectations. He's hoping that the Assyrians' repentance isn't legitimate, not sincere enough. And he's hoping that God is going to destroy the city and he's going to get to sit and watch. That's what he really wanted. Jonah hated the Assyrians. He wanted them to die. But God doesn't destroy the city and Jonah gets really angry with with him about it, to the point that God has to have a heart-to-heart to show Jonah the error of his ways. And you know, it's not just the Old Testament people of God who are like that. It's the same with us and Jesus. Jesus is also offensive. And we, his modern-day followers, often work pretty hard to avoid talking about the offensive bit of Jesus. Right? They make things uncomfortable when Jesus starts doing things a little bit off. Okay, So things like Jesus cursing a fig tree that didn't have any figs on it, and it dies. And it says there right in the Bible, you know, it wasn't the season for figs. Jesus still upset. He cursed the tree and it died. Right? That seems a little mean, especially if you love plants. If you're a plant lover and you only eat meat okay, because you want to slay, save all the plants, whatever you are. There's also the other thing that Jesus did. That makes us uncomfortable. Where he heals somebody and then he catches that person in the crowd at some point and he warns that person to stop sinning or something worse might happen to them, basically threatening this person. That is an uncomfortable Jesus. We don't like that one either. Or if we actually saw this one in person, the turning away of the rich young ruler. You know, I think the text makes it clear that the rich young ruler was a really nice guy, a seeker. Someone who was doing all the right stuff, and he was wanting to be a good guy. Most of us, if we were stood there, would turn around and say, Lord, this is awesome. This rich young guy wants to be part of the team. Like, you know, bring him in, Lord. Get him to tithe and to like be even extra generous. He can like fund the program. This is going to be amazing. And, you know, the young guy would probably, probably have bought into that system. He would have joined the team and, and tithed and funded the whole program and the mission that Jesus was up to. How do we know that? Well, because lots of people come to Jesus on that basis now. Lots of people in churches all over the world who have heard the gospel, given their life to Jesus, are wealthy, are coming in, are tithing, and they're giving even more generously to lots of things that God's doing all around the world. And we celebrate it. Rightly so. It's a good thing. But for this guy, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't let him off that easy. 
He wanted more. He wanted it all. And he says to the young guy, give everything away. Basically, get poor and come follow me. And why did Jesus do that? Because he knew that that man's wealth was the most important thing in his life. Deep down in his heart, that was number one to him. And Jesus didn't want the competition. Let me ask, what is Jesus competing for in your life? What is, what is the number one thing in your life that Jesus is chipping away at all the time? God offends us because he wants it all. He doesn't want to play second fiddle to anything in our lives. And so when we're offended by God, we end up seeking different paths. You know, I said we all have this picture that we very much would like God to fit into. And one way that is easily seen is by one of the sayings that both secular people and Christian people drop on a regular basis when in some sort of debate or, or conversation with other people. And it sounds like this. I can't believe in, a, I can't believe in or trust in a God who... Dot, dot, dot. Fills in, fill in the blank. Whatever God you can't believe in who does such and such. I think all of you have personally maybe said that at one point, or you've heard somebody say that, and then they've had their criteria by which God should submit. And the problem is, when confronted with the idea that God may in fact believe such and such a thing, we as humans tend to do one of two things. We either disobey and rebel against this God, or... We merely explain that revelation away and reshape God to be something that fits in with our ideal. Which category do you tend to fall into? I think I probably tend to fall in the runaway category personally. I'm the, I'm the guy that probably jumps on the ship and legs it, you know. Um, Jonah clearly was that guy. God told him to preach to the people of Nineveh, and Jonah had a hunch that they might actually listen and repent, right? So that was his fear. His fear was that they might actually listen and repent, at which point he was pretty confident, at least he knew God, right? He was pretty confident that God would forgive them. And so, you know, to anybody else who's wanting to see people repent and come to faith in God, that would be awesome, except Jonah hated the Ninevites. He hated the Assyrians. And he wanted them to be judged. He wanted them to be destroyed. And so he legs it. He attempts to get the message of God as far away from the Ninevites as possible, and he confessed that to the Lord himself. He sought a different path from the one God was laying out for him because he disagreed with God's judgment. He disagreed with God's judgment. Now, we rightly criticize him for that, right? But reluctantly, I think we might need to also admit that his behavior is probably more honest than the other option. No, the other one being where we trust the truth of God and convince ourselves and others that God is in fact asking us to do something else or permitting us to do something that suits us, that we find more agreeable, that fits into our description of God more. And I dare say that's a much more sinister response, isn't it, when we do that? You know, Jonah runs, but the Pharisees don't run. The Pharisees twist the truth. And when the truth confronts them, it conde they condemn it and they want to silence it. So they can, in essence, teach others to live according to a different gospel, 
one more of their making that suits their position and suits how they want to live their life in society more agreeably. And so either way, seeking these different paths has the same consequence. What it does is we obstruct the revelation of God to people. We obstruct the revelation of God to people for varying reasons. People who need to hear him, people who need to be challenged by him. And you know, some of the reasons why we do that, you know, maybe we're ashamed or offended by God. Maybe we're ashamed by something that he's saying or doing. Maybe we're ashamed by his thinking. And we do not want other people to seem that way. Or most likely, we do want ourselves to be associated with that thinking. Maybe we personally want to be kept separate from some other type of person. Maybe we feel God's asking us to share, the, share a message of Jesus with a person that we, we, we don't like about them. You know, we know about racism. We know about xenophobia where people don't like other cultures and, 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 and want to keep themselves separate from those people. And sometimes that, that results in people refusing to share the gospel with certain types of people because they want to be kept away. They, they want to only be around people like them. Maybe we have bitterness in our hearts. And there's someone that we're aware of who we really want God to judge. Right? It's like a group of people like, yeah, God, I just, I just want you to send them to hell. You know? And so, you know, this was the thing about Jonah. That's where Jonah was. He just really wanted them to burn. You know? Not a nice, not a nice thing. But sometimes we have bitterness in our heart, and that's the way we feel towards people or to an individual. And so we get stuck in these ruts, these ruts that are, are places where we oppose what God is about. And so how do, we, how, do we, how do we live a life that keeps us away from those ruts? How do we get out of those pro-flesh or pro-selfish or pro-sinful attitudes? Well, we have to be people of humility. We have to be people of prayer and worship. Those things are key to keeping us on the right track. You know, Jonah was a prayer. He was a worshiper, but he, he'd, lost his lack of, he'd lost his sense of humility. He was proud because he believed his view of the Ninevites was more accurate than God's view of the Ninevites. He believed that the Ninevites deserved judgment more than he deserved judgment. He questioned God's goodness. And so, you know, in order to repent of our resistance to God and to his ways, we need to accept that God knows better than we do. This is the human condition. This is, goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Why did Eve and Adam eat the fruit? Because they doubted God's goodness. They believed that they knew better than God for that moment in time. That was the core sin. And so we need to believe that God knows better than we do, even when we don't understand him, or even when his instructions or his challenges offend us in some way. And so we need to invite humility in. We need to declare deep within ourselves that God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. We all have to come to the realization that we, we people and our ways are probably the things that are truly offensive to God. And so we have to accept that God knows what's best for his creation, even if fallen life and fallen creation seems to claim otherwise. We have to stop being reluctant missionaries like Jonah. We have to be willing to let people know who God is on his terms. 
that they can accept or reject him based on who he is and what he really says. Whether we like those people or not, or whether we like God's terms or not. And I'm pretty sure every single one of us here can go to a passage in the Bible that we don't like. God, why did you do that? That makes me uncomfortable. I don't really want to tell people about you when you're doing that. Each of us has something about that in us. But you know, we have to learn to love and accept God for who he is ourselves. We need to get to know him, to listen to his leading, to let him reveal his ways to us and his heart to us. And so we do that through humbling ourselves, accepting who he is, and through lives of prayer and worship, learning to speak to him, learning to learn more about him, to lift him up above ourselves. And as we grow in that relationship, we begin to see more and more the heart of God. We begin to see that God actually loves us way more than we thought he did. He actually loves us way more than we love him. And as we begin to get closer and closer to God and understand him more and more, we begin to realize that he loves all those people out there more than we love them. And you know, this is the heart of the issue for a lot of Christians today in the modern West, is that we honestly think we love the people around us more than God does. We honestly think that we have their best interests at heart more than he does. This is where a lot of Christians struggle with the gospel. Yeah, my, my friend's so happy. I, I just, you know, I, you know, to surrender their lives to Jesus, they're going to have to sacrifice so much. I just, don't, I, just, I don't want them to do that. I don't want them to have to sacrifice so much. Well, you did. You're learning to sacrifice everything for Jesus. Why is that not good enough for them? Because we, we doubt that God really loves those people. We're not sure if he really loves them. We know he wants them to serve him. We know that about God because we know he wants us to serve him. But deep down, we're not sure if that's because he loves us or not. We question it. It's just a human condition. We all struggle with that at some times. And so, you know, we have to challenge that belief in us. We have to say, hey, we need to figure out, God, would you reveal your love to me? Would you let me see that you actually love people way more than I think you do? And so, you know, if you're the person that's struggling with that, the challenge today is to bring that lie before God. To be open about it, to confess to the Lord today that, you know, we question his love for us and for others. And, and we, we struggle to see and comprehend that his love may well be better than our love for other people. And as we do that, we have to admit by faith that we are wrong, that God is right, and, and ask him to lead us into a closer relationship with him, to reveal that love to us more and more as we, as we embark on a journey with him, asking him to let us see how he sees, let us feel how he feels about other people, asking him to help us to be faithful to him, asking him to help us to say yes to him when he asks us to go somewhere that we don't really want to go or do something that we want to do, or ask him to overcome our shame when we're ashamed of him and his gospel and what he asks of people. And so that's the lesson we can learn from Jonah today. Say, hey, God, sometimes I just don't understand you. 
I don't understand your, what you're about. I don't understand why you do the things you do. And sometimes I want to run away. And God, sometimes I want to tell people something different about you that you're not really saying about yourself. Sometimes I want to say, say to people, hey, you only have to sacrifice a little bit to Jesus, and then you can do whatever you want. Jesus doesn't want it all, you know, because that makes us feel uncomfortable, you know. How many of you go through life and you think, oh, I'm just, today I just don't need to know that God wants everything from me because, you know, I just, I don't know, I want to sit down and read my book and do my own thing, you know, and then go for a nap. I want to go help my neighbor or whatever it is. We all have that struggle. But, you know, this is the grace of God. Jesus comes and he dies and he rises again so we can be forgiven for all that stuff that we struggle with. But not only that, he gives us his Holy Spirit because he knows that we can't do it in our own strength. And so the Holy Spirit, who is full of grace and mercy, comes and gently moves us towards submission, moves us towards obedience. And when we get it wrong, what does he do? He forgives us over and over again. And so this is the story of hope, that as we try to not be like Jonah, God, God comes to us and says, hey, just, just turn around, go back. I'll help you. I'll help you. And, he, and, and rather than judging us, because you know, he had every right to judge Jonah under that tree, but he doesn't do it. He comes and he has a pep talk. You know? Sometimes we just need a pep talk from Jesus to help us to keep moving. And so today, that's the challenge. If you're in a place in your life right now where you're struggling to say yes to God, that's okay. God wants to help you to overcome that. He wants to help you to turn around and to move in another direction, in an exciting direction that's full of, full of it full of him using you to bring life to other people. Let's stand. Felicity, you want to come back on up?